Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. The Hudson River Valley of New York, a major paranormal hotspot. What do experiencers actually experience there? Is the area a western appendage to our expanding Connecticut Triangle, or vice versa? Well, hello there, and welcome to the uh, 793rd broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM as well. Uh, This is our 11th year on the air, and I'm Ben, and those regional questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and uh, father, Paul. And uh, today we bring you a guest uh, who not only lives in the Hudson Valley, but who is an eminently qualified uh, person to discuss this subject. And uh, we welcome your calls today. Numbers are, uh, well, the number is uh, 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or you can email Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. Or you can use uh, uh, Facebook Messenger as well. Before we introduce our guest, we have to acknowledge the translation on May 13th of our good friend Stanton T. Friedman, a nuclear physicist and the father of modern UFO studies. Uh, For decades, uh, Stan has been a familiar face to anyone who watched the uh, UFO documentaries or read books on the subject. Uh, We were honored when Stan wrote the foreword for our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. Uh, Memory eternal, Stan, and we'll see you around the multiverse. Indeed. Wahab Hadja Al-Mawid, also known as Dr. C.S. Matthews, has studied paranormal experiences and reports for over four decades. She has advanced degrees in religious studies and American cultural studies and is an ardent environmentalist. She lives in the, quote, beautifully haunted, unquote, I love that, that's beautiful, uh, mid-Hudson Valley of New York, uh, the land of the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, where she teaches at local colleges and works for a prominent nonprofit organization. She has been a journalist and has also published poetry, short stories, academic papers, and a textbook on new religious movements. So, Abba, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to be back. Oh, it's great to have you back. It's been a while, too. This is the place yeah, to be. Yeah, it's been. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess we'll start off with something something kind of broad before we kind of funnel our way our way down to the good stuff. So can you give us a general background on uh, why the Hudson River Valley is so weird? Uh, well, you gave me this question yesterday, and I was like, "You don't well, have to tell people that." Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you know, you got to get us started somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I w- the reason I say that is because I was thinking, how can I say this shortly so it doesn't take the entire hour? Um, I think probably, and I'll just talk about because I talk about this actually in the book that I've, I've, I'm just completing right now. Um, if you think about yourselves and think about how you, the kinds of things that you look for in like a haunted area, you know, because you, you all, the two of you have studied haunted areas. What well, you know, there, there are similar things that a lot of people look for. They look for. Um, electromagnetic or geomagnetic anomalies. They look for water. Water seems to be a really important feature in a lot of uh, at least ghostly places. And also, is the area troubled? In other words, have there been some kinds of displacements, major displacements of, of individuals and, and human beings in that area that might that might account for various types of energetic discharges? You know, these are the kinds of things that paranormal investigators look at. If you look Look at the Hudson Valley. Um, it's got all three of those things in spades. Uh, for one thing, uh, and I talk about this at the beginning of the book, um, from just a geological standpoint, New York State generally is unique in North America 
in that it is apparently, and I didn't know this until geologists started telling me this, it is apparently the only state, uh, the only place in North America where every single era and epoch of the Earth's um, geological history is exposed somewhere on in, in the state, and especially along the eastern part of the state where the Hudson River is uh, because of geological forces and just the geological history uh, here, um, a, a lot of those sediments, those different types of um, layers and minerals have begun all kind of crunched up together, and then because of the last ice age, they've a lot of them have been exposed. So that if you go up from like the tip of Manhattan, the southern tip of Manhattan, all the way up to the Adirondacks, uh, it's it's uh, it's just uh, all you have to do is look at a geomagnetic anomaly map, of which they have several that you can just you know the USGS survey um, provides you with if you want to go Google them, and you'll find that this whole area is just rife with uh, a variety of geomagnetic anomalies just running up all and down it. And, and it, what's important to keep in mind is that these are normal. You know, when, when a geologist says an anomaly, what they mean by that is just that you have different s- types of minerals that have been laid down and for various bizarre reasons are lying next to each other. And so it creates uh, fluctuations in the electromagnetic fields. Um, well, so, so, well, if I may interrupt, uh, uh, sorry for that, but uh, the Bouget anomaly is something we've noticed there as well. Right. And we've noticed that pre- uh, to be present in every single flap area, as we call them, that we've investigated. Maybe coincidence, we're still looking into that. So uh, right. just to, to second what you just said. Right. And, and then on top of that, of course, um, many paranormal investigators look at the uh, water, the prevalence of water. And the Hudson Valley is is just festooned with water. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but um, New, York, New York City gets virtually all of its water from water resources in, in the Hudson Valley. In fact, just just north of where I live. And and it's able to, you know, the water resources here are able to supply not only a city of that size, a metropolitan area of that size, but then everybody else. And that's just with the normal water reserves, you know. In other words, you know, the normal rainfall that we have and everything. So there's, there's tons of water. Uh, I, I mean, the house that I live on, which, by the way, does have some paranormal things that pop in and out of it. We have uh, what I call a mild poltergeist that exists in the house. It's very mild. Um, but just we live on less than an acre of land, and just in our acre of land we have four springs, two wells, and a creek. Good heavens. And so it's, I mean, the water here is incredible. And then on top of that, so you've got all these natural resources and these natural reasons. But then on top of that, you have a a very intense history, human history, uh, where uh, where there has been a lot of historical tragedy. You know, like a lot of people don't know this either, but the, the, the first really large massacre of natives for no reason at all other than they were like in in Governor Keefe's way uh, occurred uh, in um, the community of Communipaw which is and now in Jersey City which is right where the um, the Hudson River opens up into the larger bay and and that happened in 1643 and um, it was actually one of the precursor events that eventually down the line led to uh, various confederacies in the Northeast uh, combining their forces and 
and developing into what became King Philip's War, which I'm sure you're familiar with mm. because of the, the history of Rhode Island in, in that. But um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of tragedy here there's a and there's a lot and there's the um you know the the physical aspects of the land that that make it that that may that give you the possibility of you know if you believe in if you believe that natural things create portals or the possibility for portals um there definitely is that and then the natives of course believed that many many areas around here were sacred and so there were lots of places that were set off i mean very distinctly set off uh that that were used for ceremony for probably thousands of years and so you have that sort of uh energy that's there as well so it's 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 everything together uh, that has created this, I think, a kind of unique, a unique ongoing uh, uh, atmosphere for uh, uh, what we would call paranormal activity. That's what I mean by haunted. You know, the the valley is haunted, and it's haunted for lots of reasons. So, sure, okay. Oh, that, was, that was pretty clear and concise. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Was, that was, yeah, well, she's, not, she's not a professor for nothing. That's a very good point. <laughs> so you, you started to mention um, the, the First Nations and, and their sort of experiences with the land in itself. Could you expand a little more on that? Uh, yeah, uh, and again, this is something I, I concentrate a lot on in the book. Um, I, from what we've been able to tell, and what uh, what records, both have, what records have survived, and what natives who have never left this area, because you know a lot of people think that they le- most of them did leave eventually or, or were pushed out, but some of them managed to stay. And so, given the information that we have, we know that there were that there were a variety of experiences. Uh, spiritual, you know, from a native perspective, they're not paranormal. Um, they're just considered to be part of the normal course of the types of experiences that you might have in the course of your life. Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, Evan Pritchard calls them paranatural, not paranormal, uh, which I think mm. is kind of an, an interesting, different way of looking at it. Uh, but there were a number of different types of beings and that were uh, were reported some of which look very very similar or appear to be very similar to what we would call bigfoot or sasquatch uh, and and in the mid hudson valley that being was referred to as misinkwe although that being also has other names like the Haudenosaunee, the iroquois had a different name for that particular being, which I can't pronounce, to be perfectly honest. It's got about eight syllables. Um, but, uh, and there were, they also, there were also ongoing reports of, of lights uh, or light phenomena that we refer to, that they refer to as spirit lights. And in fact, when I first asked Evan, he's a, a native historian who has done a lot of work here in the Hudson Valley, um, he, I asked him about the lights that are, are even now reported to come off of Overlook Mountain. And Overlook Mountain is the mountain that is sort of the backdrop to Woodstock. Like if you approach Woodstock from the south, uh, and, and come into the village, you'll, there's, you'll notice there's this huge mountain that is sort of like the backdrop to the, to the village. And in fact, where the village sits, 
that's where that was a ceremonial area and and this mountain was a mountain that there's still the, the trail that the natives went up to go to ceremonial places on top of the mountain that that trail still exists you can actually still go up part of it and part of it then dissolves into you know private property but um uh, I was asking him about the spirit lights, which are still said to come off of that mountain. And he was like, oh, no, th- those are, and I, I said, those lights. And he said, no, those are spirit ships. That's how we refer to them as spirit ships. And people see them all the time to the present day. Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, it's so normal to see them that apparently there are some neighborhoods where, you know, the neighbors in the evening on a nice evening like yesterday evening, they'll just all go, go out in their backyards to see if they're, if they're going to be seen this evening. You know, it's so common. <laughs> so, you know, and there are other places in the valley like that. You know, um, you, I went to the Pine Plains UFO Festival yesterday, and uh, that's another area. Now, the mountains that are there are a different type of mountain. They aren't the Catskills there. They're actually called the Shamgum or the Gunks. And they're actually a different geological formation entirely, but uh, they're to the west of the of the hamlet there of Pine Bush. And people go out every night just to see if the lights are going to show themselves. I mean, it's it's very common. So, um, and, and this has been going on for a lot longer than people have been making reports of it. So, uh, according to Evan, the natives have been doing this forever. So. Um, that's what I can tell you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get into uh, some of the chapters of the book. Now, what is the book called? The book is called Mysterious Beauty, uh, Living with the Paranormal in the Hudson Valley. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're, we've recently had several people on the show whom you know and whom we first mm-hmm. met when we first met you uh, speaking right. in the Red Hook a few years ago. And uh, <clears throat> I guess we're kind of a gang at this point, but... Uh, there's a Linda Zimmerman, uh, yes. and there's a there's a chapter in your book called Linda Zimmerman following <coughs> excuse me following the stories. Uh, right. And Linda, of course, is, is a uh, sort of major theological figure in the uh, UFO world. So, could you talk about that chapter? Right. Well, th- those chapters at the end of the second part of the book, those are all profiles. So, mm. what a lot of a lot of those are are just see- simply me interviewing them and them telling their stories of how they got involved in in um, studying the types of the paranormal that they study and and sort of how my emphasis is is how has how have your um, how have your investigations and your experiences, how have they sort of changed your understanding of the world and how do you connect this with living in the Hudson Valley? And uh, Because what's interesting about all the investigators, including Linda, that I, I researched is that they really do see the work that they do, the paranormal work that they do, as being intricately linked to their living in the Hudson Valley. So it's not just a matter of they're just doing this and they're doing this here because they happen to be here, you know, in the Hudson. It's because There's something about their being in the Hudson that that these experiences have provided significance for, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and in the case of Linda... Um, she, uh, you know, her, she's a, she's a fairly straightforward person. For for her, um, this this interest in UFOs started gradually, and um, as she's probably told her story to you, uh, she started out. Um, she's very scientifically minded. She's very practical. She started out uh, just actually doing plain history, uh, you know, and uh, 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 historical 
um, presentations because there's a lot of history in the Hudson Valley, obviously, and 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 uh, it's, uh, some of that history is very intricate. And uh, she found that as she was doing this, um, at one point somebody asked her to to do to do like a ghost story. Why don't you do a ghost story? You know, because she would do folklore occasionally, you know, in her presentations. And so she started doing ghost stories. And then she became known as the ghost lady. And so people would tell her, her tell her their ghost stories. And whenever she'd do a ghost presentation, somebody would come up and start telling the, her their UFO stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, that's what happens. And, and so uh, she eventually, first she said she was sort of offended by it a little bit. It was like, no, I do ghost stories. Or for, first it was, no, I don't do ghost stories. I just do history. And then it was, no, I just do ghost stories. And then eventually it was like, well, these are the stories that people are telling me. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what got her started, essentially. Okay. Uh, you know, um and uh, before we get to a listener question here, um, also we had, only a few weeks ago we had Gail Beatty right. uh, on yeah. the show yeah. uh, about Bigfoot in the Hudson Valley. Right, right. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, talk about Gail or Bigfoot? Well, both. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think they, they know each other anyway. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll be honest. I didn't know for a long time that that there were Bigfoot thing, Bigfoot seen here or Bigfoot like experiences seen here until I had my own bizarre sighting of something uh and and that was i was i had only lived in the hudson valley a couple of years when i had one of those kind of classic you know thing running across the road in front of you Hmm. kind of situations and so i i found gail by just simply doing a google search and asking the question so is this scene here in the hudson valley and lo and behold did i i found out that not only were Bigfoot or Bigfoot-like creatures being seen in the area at the time when I saw what I saw, but that there was a, there's actually a fairly long history of this, and I didn't know that at all. Uh, so uh, it, through Gail, uh, knowing Gail, and also through knowing Bruce Hallenbeck, who's another person I profile in the book, who, who lives up in Kinderhook, further north, um, more towards Albany, and whose family was sort of the epicenter for um, the the outbreak of the Kinderhook creature in the early 80s, mm. uh, and and his story is fascinating. By the way, you'll you well, once you read his story when the book is out, you'll want to interview him too. He tells just fascinating stories uh, about his family and about their various ghost and Bigfoot experiences. But um, it, you know, it's been a real educational experience, I think, for Gail and both for me and her and for her in her case. Uh, she, uh, it took her a while to understand that um, Bigfoot and UFO experiences kind of go together, at least here and certainly in other places mm-hmm. too, but certainly here. And it took her a while to figure that out. Uh, it took, it, it did take me as long to, to figure that out, but it, what, what, it did take me a while to figure out just how prevalent certain types of cryptid experiences and how common they are. Um, and what the history of that is is it is in the Hudson Valley. Um, I, I don't think that history is known as well because uh, there's been such an emphasis due to media and also due to literature um, on the ghosts in the Hudson Valley. You know, the haunted places, and then the and then the UFO stuff that happened. You know, in the in the mid 80s. Yeah. Uh, but but I think because of that, people have have not 
paid as much attention to the Bigfoot um, material, but in fact, it goes back to the it goes back to the late 18th century, uh, at least in colonial terms, um, that the stories do. And and there are other cryptids that have popped up in different places in in New York State as well, but they're probably better known in Pennsylvania, where people like Stan Gordon and you have done that kind of studying there. Yeah. So, um, but we get the same kind of stuff here. Um, it's just people haven't looked as much into it. Okay. Let's go to a question from our, our good um, listener, Peter, in Columbia, South America. And uh, Peter has a question for you. Sure. Okay. Peter, always a, so many questions, and they're all great. They're uh, all good so yeah. Peter writes to us, Doctor, what are the most interesting Hudson Valley UFO cases that you can share? UFO cases? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming we're talking about any UFOs at all. Yes. Yes, but uh, I, I would <laughs> I would add uh, take the liberty to uh, add an addendum to the question uh, that uh, I'd like to hear some more about the uh, the 1980s uh, the affair to which you've already referred, uh, which grabbed headlines around the world that's still talked about and uh, right. that sort of thing. So if you could sort of embrace the subject of UFOs in your vicinity, that'd be good. R- right. Um, well, the 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 huge UFO outbreak, um, which you're referring to, which is which was featured in the in the um, J. Allen Hynek's last book before he died, um, Night Siege, uh, specifically addresses. Uh, a, 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 and I say a set of UFO types of UFO sightings that were seen in the mid, at mid and lower Hudson, specifically for the most part, um, from the from the years approximately 1983 to approximately 1986 or 1987. It sort of depends on where you were in the valley. There were there were three main kinds of sightings. There were the large um, boomerang or triangle um, sightings um, shapes. Uh, and there, and some of these were the classic triangles where you just have like the light, at, the lights at the points, and then some of them would have a bank of lights in front. And then there were large, uh, there were large circular objects that were seen that were like a, almost a ring of lights. And then there were um, the, the more classic, what I call fireball sightings, which seemed to sort of increase in intensity during that time, where you just have um, uh, you just have the, uh, the the little the one one or two balls of light that sort of shoot around, uh, and all three of those kinds of uh, experiences were going on during that period. What really distinguishes that period are a couple of things. The first is that uh, these larger triangle shapes uh, were seen uh, were seen going down uh, or, or they seemed to sort of float above major thoroughfares like the Taconic Parkway or um, uh, I-84. Sometimes immediately during or after rush hour like in in the in the evening so they were seen by i think it's estimated i think uh the night siege estimates that some somewhere between uh, over the course of that time 7 and 10,000 7 to 10,000 people actually reported seeing stuff uh, so, you know, that obviously means, well, many more p- things that were seen. Uh, during this time period, and I cannot recall the exact date, although I think I give it in the book, uh, probably one of the most amazing uh, sightings was of, was 
uh, one of these large triangles that was seen by hundreds of people and by the people at the plant that hovered right over Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant, which of course and, and, sh- and basically shut the place down, um, turned off all of the electrical equipment, including the safety equipment, was shut down for a brief oh, period of time. And so that that got everybody's attention, obviously. Um, and then there were a number of other notable sightings, like, for example, there were a couple of places, one in Connecticut and and uh, one in a township in, in New York State, just across the state line, uh, where one of these large triangles would literally just lazily float over uh, like the uh, the town hall while town hall meetings were going on. So obviously there were all these people there and the police were there and everything. So what, what distinguished these particular, um, this particular flap, if you will, this period of time, is that there were many, many, many of these large objects seen and they were seen by hundreds of people. And in fact, every single time I or Linda Zimmerman uh, give a, a UFO presentation, someone in the audience will come and tell us their story of what they saw during that time period that they have not told anyone. So I, I, I consider it to be like this infinite resource in terms of possible reports. Now, one thing I will say is that uh, from what I can tell, most of these sightings occurred in the mid and lower Hudson. So the upper Hudson, um, going as you go towards Albany, once you get to like Kinderhook and Catskill, there were very few of those sightings of the triangular sightings seen that far north. That's not to say that those people, that folks up there, have never seen those. They have, but the frequency of them was a lot less. And the other thing is, is that Pine Bush, which of course is supposed to be, you know, the Roswell of the North. East, even though they did see some of those triangular shapes, um, that was not the bulk of what they were seeing there, even at that time. Uh, so, uh, so, so it's not true that the entire Hudson Valley was having this flap. It was a particular set of areas okay. that was having this flap, but it was massive because you know. Tens of thousands of people probably saw something. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break right now. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful, but maybe not as haunted as Hudson Valley, Blackstone Valley. So we'll be right back. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Dave Gobiel, the president of the Blackstone Valley Bi-Local Group, supporting and promoting the independently owned businesses of our area. If you're not a member, I'd love a chance to sign you up. Message me at our Buy Local Blackstone Valley Facebook page or go to buylocalbv.org if you wish to sign up today. Shop local first all across the area. Shop here first. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. We're behind the paranormal today on the Hudson Valley oddities uh, that are pretty much overflowing in quite the paranormal uh, cornucopia. Oh, there's a, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. a good one, overflowing, like a, like a river flooding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. you saw what I did there. Yeah, I did. And our wonderful guest, Dr. Wahaba, uh, is with us, and, and we're going to continue our discussion of the um, the b- bizarre things that are going on there. We were talking about UFOs, and we, we can get back to that, but I'm very curious about the, um, the uh, Kinderhook creature, if you uh. would be prevailed upon to give a bit of a preview of uh, that in, that's going to be in your book. 
Yes, um, it, and the the Kinderhook creature is uh, uh, probably a lesser known manifestation of a Bigfoot-like creature. It, when people think of uh, Bigfoot stories in in New York State, they tend to think about the Whitehall incident, or what is more locally called, or the White House, the White the Whitehall monster, uh, which locally is referred to as the A Bear incident because it occurred on. A street called Aber, but that's uh, um, Whitehall is a town or a village that is to the north east of Kinderhook, probably about oh I don't know sixty miles as the crow flies more or less, uh, and uh, they in the late seventies from about seventy eight to about seventy nine they had a number of really sensational. Uh, Bigfoot-like sightings, which you know your your listeners can look up the Whitehall monster, but that sort of put the idea of of cryptids sort of in some people's minds. Um, but what's interesting, and what a lot of people don't know, is that while that a bear incident, while those reports there were beginning to sort of tone down, what was actually happening was that the phenomenon, whatever that is, was actually moving south and was moving west. That's what the reports indicate. And beginning in, in 1979 or so, uh, the, there's a, people in the Ghent, Old Chatham, um, Kinderhook area of the Hudson Valley, which is a part of the Hudson Valley that is just, just east of Albany and a little bit south, uh, they started um, reporting, you know, some of the classic uh, Sasquatch things, you know, weird footprints, um, weird vocalizations, um, seeing large, you know, very large critters, seven to nine foot critters. And it just so happened that Bruce's family, the Hallenbeck family, who has been in that area for quite a while, for reasons that, you know, even to this day, who knows, but... Um, his grandmother's house became a focal point uh, for a lot of these manifestations. And uh, so much so, and she actually was one of the first people, I think what, what it was is she was one of the first people, his grandmother actually saw this beast, this being, um, at one point in the 1980s, and she saw it sleeping in her in her yard, in her backyard early one morning. And she first, first thought it was a big dog, but then she realized it wasn't a dog, and it, it, it sort of freaked her out. So she was one of the first people to actually tell someone about it, and that's why I think that she became known for this. Well, their house, where they, where they live, is also a house which has had a lot of other paranormal experiences in it. It's, it's a haunted house. Um, they've had a number of UFO experiences there. They've had a number of really, they've had at least one really interesting little person story, you know, the little people. Oh, yeah. Well, in fact, that's something that, as I wrote the book, I realized, you know, little people are actually more important in this story than most people really understand. They're sort of in the background to a lot of this stuff. But anyway, um, so his 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 grandmother became sort of the her house became sort of the nexus for some of these um, experiences. And so over over about a five year period, I mean, it kind of you know the 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 phenomena sort of came and went you know over time. It wasn't constant, but um, he was able to record. 
uh, weird vocalizations coming out of their woods. Uh, he was able to he was able to get really good casts of strange footprints. That information they sent to experts at Cornell. Um, and the experts in Cornell were, they have, uh, they have this official record that the experts in Cornell were, uh, were unable to determine, uh, what, what living creature was making, um, the vocalizations. Basically, um, they said that there is, that there is no known animal in North America that they know of that could make these sounds. And, and they were unable to identify what the footprints were. Um, so they have all that information, but that was going on in the early 80s. And in fact, at one point, the the the, uh, the activity there was so strong that PM Magazine—I don't know if you remember that that syndicated yes. um, news—they actually went and interviewed um, Martha Hallenbeck. And so there's like 15 minutes dedicated to her and dedicated to her story uh, that that Bruce has preserved, you know, in a in a well, it's on disc now, but it was you know from a video. Uh, so so at one point there was a little bit of publicity about it, but it sort of died out. Um, but according to Bruce, there you know he he published his his findings in a, in a really excellent book, which if you can get this, it's out of print. It's called Monsters of the North Woods. Hmm. And it's, 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 it's one of the best studies of, of, of cryptids in New York and Vermont and Massachusetts that hmm. I have ever, ever read. It's really, really well done. And uh, he, he contributes, Bruce contributes a chapter to that where he tells his story and looks at the evidence and stuff. But he interviewed for that book, just that chapter, he interviewed almost 80 people who had had various experiences just in that period of time. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was actually a really major flap at that point, uh, but it was one of those that because, well, there, you know, Pine Bush was beginning to heat up then, and there were other things going on um, in the Hudson Valley that it just sort of, you know, fell below the radar, uh, but I think that you in particular might be interested in it because of its, uh, he, 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 he did a really good job of, of um, looking at the different types of footprints and he noticed that there were two main kinds of footprints that they were getting in their area. One was, you know, the kind of classic, you know, five-toed footprint. But the other was a very, very strange three-toed footprint. I which was just he, going to ask about that. Which he, which he, you know, which he said really freaked him out because he couldn't figure out, like, what that was. Um, but they would appear in mud and they would appear in snow and... Uh, and and the, and there were many many footprints that appeared on his grandmother's farm. So very clearly something was transversing. And he's got he's got some really interest. He's got a funny way of expressing himself. I think you would find his sense of humor really good in terms of how he tells the stories. He's a great storyteller. That's great. So the, the three-toed footprints, Wahaba, have been have been associated, at least in our experience, with some of the Mothman encounters. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. one of the things we wanted to get into today was: um, Have there been? Uh, and again, it, it, these are arbitrary terms, in our opinion. The labels we put on things we don't understand, and it may or may not be, you know, the, the classic Mothman figure, but people will associate it uh, with that. Uh, have there been any um, um, Mothman-like experiences you've run into in in your interviews with people, or even your own experience? Uh, well, not. 
certainly not my own experience. Um, you know, there have been, uh, I have encountered a few instances, not very many, but a few instances where uh, people have reported really large birds, you know, the kind of preternaturally large birds. Mm. Um, and there has only been one uh, report that I have heard of uh, where they talk about uh, like a Mothman-like creature, but it's more like a, the bat squatch, you know? Yes. In other words, it looked more like a Bigfoot, but it seemed to sort of... And, and actually, this person couldn't really tell whether it had wings, but it rose in the air. Okay. You know, it, it rose vertically in the air. Um, but it was at night, and and it scared them, and but so they they didn't really notice whether it had wings as such. But certainly, the, kind of the other some of the other features uh, that sometimes are associated with Mothman, the the glowing red eyes, mm. uh, that that is something that in fact during the A Bear incident, um, that was one of the salient features of that large creature that a lot of people saw. It was seen at one point by eleven police officers at once uh, and that was one of the things that they that they all talked about is that it looked like you know like this big hulking like a classic Bigfoot except that it had these glowing red eyes that we associate with Mothman so there have been some features like that but but not anything clearly Mothman-ish okay. <laughs> in the same way at least not that I've heard okay. you know what I mean Ben I don't want to hog all the question time oh no no it's totally fine I think it's I guess kind of lead, leading along this sort of avian insect subject, um, owls. We've I was just going to bring up owls. Yes, yes. We, 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 we're uh, we're harassed by owls right and left these days. Pretty much. It's so we we've been we've it's been. Really a David, it, it's a David Lynchian world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So owls. What, um, what about owls? Let's let's talk well, about owls because you, you well, have, I believe, a chapter in your book yes. on, on that. Yeah. Well, I don't have a chapter on the book on owls, but um, oh, okay. No, I, do, I don't. Uh, but, a sacred um, owl spirit whisperer. Oh, sacred owl! That's just his name. That's, oh, okay. That's, Sorry that's, about that's, that. That's that's the dude's name. <laughs> haven't haven't met, haven't had the pleasure yet. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the guy's name. Okay. Um, but but what I can tell you is that um, I mean, in this, you know, we we all know about Whitley Stryber's experiences in the mid '80s. You know, we've heard of them. His his abduction experiences, in which the Hudson count, Valley, right? which do count as as a Hudson Valley experience. Yes, and uh, what. What, what I do bring up in the book, and what a lot of people don't know, although Linda Zimmerman is the person who discovered some of these accounts, is that, and she does write about them in one of her books, is that during the same basic time period uh, where Whitley Stryber is having his experiences that he's remembering, in other parts of the valley, um, and in fact, it, it, there are two people who only are living like maybe about 30 miles from where he is having his experiences. Um, but there are at least three other people who are having, at the very same time that he is, similar kinds of visitor abductee kinds of experiences. And all of them do talk about uh, how one of the characteristics of these experiences, I mean, among others, they're all different in various ways, is, is um, whatever this 
energy or these beings are masking themselves as animals in one way or another. And, and an owl is one of the, something that another of the individuals reports. He, they also report other animals too, by the way, um, raccoons, possums, things like that. But, um, you know, all the, I, I, to me, it's like, oh, all the animals that are going to appear in your house, they're going yes, to yeah. look like that, you know. Uh, but, but certainly one of the individuals, he, I think he's the guy that, uh, has the experiences in Putnam Valley, or P- Putnam County, excuse me. Um, he very specifically talks about how he is sort of plagued by owls, um, mm-hmm. at, at a certain point. Um, what I can tell you is that, there are lots of owls here, just generally. I mean, there are like four species of owls. We, I, we just have, we have three types of owls that just live in our neighborhood. So, so th- there are times at night where it's sort of like an owl fest, you know, everybody's hooting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me because, uh, I, my, ex- my understanding, uh, based on what natives have told me is that, um, various of these, Entities or these spirits, these beings that live in the woods, that live in the water, uh, uh, the little people, even on occasion, that they will they will take on the forms of familiar animals in order to hide themselves. In order to, it depends on what their motive is. In order to hide themselves, in order to seduce you, in some instances, uh, they they are they are shapeshifters, and so you have to be careful with them in a sense uh, because for humans uh, we it's difficult for us to tell uh, when when there's a, a good motive or a bad motive in play or just even a trickster motive in play um, you know we, we we don't have very good senses in that regard I'm just talking the, the way natives talk they don't really have very good senses in with that regard we, we, have, we have difficulty seeing the difference um, so uh, owls certainly figure in that. Okay. Now, you've conducted many, many interviews with experiencers, uh, particularly in the Hudson Valley. W- w- how do you conduct um, an interview of that kind? Do you use a, a standard form? Do you, how, how, do you, how do you conduct an interview? And the, the, what I'm getting at here is that uh, Bud Hopkins, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, well-known expert in, uh, who's since uh, translated some years ago, before we had a chance to work with him, uh, is probably the greatest uh, expert on alien abductions uh, of his time. And he was in New York City, and he would uh, was often criticized for uh, asking leading questions mm-hmm. during interviews. So, so the point is, you know, how do you? What, what is your interview style? Having been a journalist in your past. Right. Um, well, I was also actually trained as a social scientist in, in that kind of interviewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I tend to interview. Um, I, I basically use um, a recorder, a recording device, and I try to simply have a conversation with the individual. And I let them know that uh, they, they can say pretty much anything to me. The only questions that I will ask are questions of clarification. Uh, just to sort of make sure that I understand what the, what it is they're saying, okay. or or um, if if like just as an example, um, if they if they if they've seen a craft or they've seen a light in the sky um, and it's approached them, you know, I might and they forget to add, they forget to say something. I might say, well, did it make any sound? Yes, you know, something like that. So just informational questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and I, I I let the the individual who I'm interviewing I let them sort of lead 
the conversation so that that they are telling me what is first of all most important for for me as far as they're concerned what's most important for them for me to know uh, because usually if someone comes to you and they want to tell you something they want to tell you that for a reason uh, it's and it is and it might be because they're interested in research and they and they want you know to contribute to that but more likely than not it's because they 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 want to share something that is important to them you know i mean uh People who have these, as you know, people who have these kinds of experiences, uh, sometimes these experiences are the single most important things that happen to them in their lives. That's right. They're, they're, they're foundationally important because of how they change your understanding of reality, your relationship to it, your relationship to consciousness. Uh, they can be very spiritually empowering experiences, but that by the same token, they can be terrifying experiences. They, it, those are not mutually exclusive. So the people are telling you things that are really intimate to them. And, and so you have to be really mindful of, of what is important. When I did these profiles for the book, I, I did the interviews, I took a, made a transcript, and then I wrote it up, you know, with some context behind the transcript. And then I sent what I wrote back to those individuals and said, is this what you want to say? Do you want to add anything to this? Do you want to change anything? And sometimes, in a couple of instances, they did. They actually were like, you know, I don't really want to reveal that much mm -hmm. about something. And so they changed a little bit so that all of those accounts have been vetted. Um, they're saying exactly what the people who I did the interview with want them to say. Okay. So... We'd like your opinion on, if, and I'm saying this on the air because I want um, as many people to know about it as possible, but if you go to BehindTheParanormal.com, our show website, uh, there was a link to uh, reporting your own experience. And at the moment, it's aimed at the Pennsylvania case, which we're uh, working on very shortly. And, uh, you know, just, I'd appreciate your opinion on that. It was, uh, we were assisted by one of our producers who's, who's also a, a behavioral scientist. And uh, she's making some changes to it as we speak. But generally, it's, uh, we like to think it's, it's pretty um, comprehensive. And we'd appreciate your opinion on that. I'll send you a link. Uh, an opinion? Uh, oh, you mean the opinion yeah, on, on the form and, and how we approach the particular? Okay, issue. sure, okay, sure, yeah, right. because I can't I can't see it right at the moment, but yeah, right, right. Uh, right. Uh, but also, um, uh, th there is a, an interview uh, from that case that uh, is on YouTube. Um, uh, Alexander Petikoff, the filmmaker, and uh, Charles mm -hmm. Credo, uh were with us uh, that time a year ago, and we did that. So I'll put the, the, there's a link to that as well. Okay. So we'll have a, um, before we burn up the air, well, we almost have. Uh, tell us again about your book, uh, wh when it's coming out, where people can find out more about you. Okay, um, the, the book again is called uh, Mysterious Beauty, Living with the Paranormal in the Hudson Valley. Um, I'm hoping uh, it, is, it is going into its final uh, co comprehensive copy editing phase right now. So I am hoping that by the end of July, um, maybe even a little sooner, that it will be available. It just depends sort of on how f fast, fast that part of it goes, um, you know, how those things go. Um, and... Uh, how you can get in touch with me, um, the easiest way to get in touch with me is um, through actually my email at this point. I, I'm in the process of redoing a, um, a website, so I can't really give that yet. Uh, but um, it's uh, the, the email is, um, let me see if I can give you the simplest one. It's, uh, it's adob, A-D-A-B, adoblearning at gmail.com. 
Okay. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the name that will come up is my um, academic name, which is Dr. Matthews or Dr. Um, Carol Matthews. Uh, the, what's important for your li- readers to, or your listeners to know is that when this book comes out, um, I'm actually going to be using my academic name, which is Dr. C.S. Matthews. And the, okay. reason for, the, the reason for that is because I know that in the paranormal community, there is a lot of concern about credibility, about um, making sure that people who claim degrees and who claim things like that really have them. Yes. And, yes. And, 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 and you won't be able to find my dissertation under my Wahhaba name, which is, a, which is my spiritual name, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you won't be able to find it there, but under Dr. C.S. Matthews, you will be able to find that I have written a, a master's and a Ph.D. about the alien abduction narrative in the United States. So I actually do know a little bit about what I'm talking about. Um, and, but then in the, in the book, in the title page, it will say Dr. C.S. Matthews, in parentheses, also known as Professor Wham. And we can talk about what Professor Wham means later. <laughs> yeah, it's an but acronym, that, yeah. That, that, well, that's, yeah, and it's, an, it's a nod to the people in the Hudson Valley because there are a lot of people in the Hudson Valley know me as that. That's okay. how they refer to me. So, Very good. Um, just before we, uh, we end here, uh, what is the most recent striking event that has occurred in the paranormal world of the Hudson Valley? You mean that, that I have... That, that, that I've you're taken, aware of. Yeah. That I'm aware of. Uh, probably, for me at least, the most one of the most striking um, uh, stories that I have heard. Um, uh, 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 I got this story from a friend of mine who uh, is a skeptic. And he had, um, over winter solstice, he had that night of the winter solstice in 2018, he had a very striking uh, and very rare a UFO sighting. And what I mean by rare is, you know, um, there are lots of different types of UFOs that are seen. Some shapes are more common than others. Um, the shape, One of the shapes that is the rarest is called the Saturn shape. And usually these are massive UFOs. They're really huge. And he saw one of these at 2 a.m. out his window, and it scared him to death. He had no idea what he was seeing. Um, it did a number of bizarre maneuvers in the sky, and it was huge. He said, in fact, he told me at the time when he told me about it a couple nights later, he, and this is literally what he said, and this stays with me. He says, you know, even as I'm telling you the story, even as I'm telling you what I saw, my mind is telling me it had to be something else. But the truth is, I have no idea what I was looking at. And and I, he said, it's, I watched it for 20 minutes, and it scared me so much that I finally went to bed in order to shut it out. Okay. And, and, and this was very close to where I live. It was only about, maybe about 15 miles from where I live. Mm-hmm. Ben, so, any, um, any final points or questions? Um, no, I, w- I wish we had a little bit more time, because I would have I asked uh, if, if there was something about any anything new any new developments in in the river monster scene of the Hudson River Valley but there's not enough time to delve into that. Well, we will admit it. Well, I suppose so. Um, yeah. so I I was I was reading about this because I have a special affinity towards lake monsters and river monsters myself. And I know mm-hmm. back in 2006 there was um, talk of a I don't know if it was a sea serpent or something that was hanging around the Hudson River Valley and there were theories that it might have been champ but who knows? Are there are there any sort of updates on the the river scene? Uh, yes and no. I mean, um, in the Hudson Valley, in the, in the river itself, the Hudson River itself, there haven't been a lot of things that have been seen lately. But in some of the tributary tributary 
rivers, yes. And then certainly some of the, um, the lakes around here, there are people who have reported things. Um, so it's not just the Hudson River itself, but a lot of the, the other, you know, answer you know the the tributaries that go into the river um there have been a few things that have been reported at sturgeon pond um which is which is only about four miles from where i live um uh, that and it's uh, it's it's connected to the hudson through um the the Wallkill and the rondout rivers the tributaries uh, people have reported things there so um I haven't had time to actually hunt those things down because they're around here, at least lately, uh, river things or water things or almost, whether they're serpents or not, are almost always connected with, with lights going up and down in and out of the water. Interesting. Interesting. So, I think we'll have to end it there because we're out of time. But Wahaba, thank you so much for being with us. A fascinating conversation yes. as ever. We'll be in touch off the air. Thank you so much. And best of luck with the book. We'll and I'll back. let you know when it's out. Okay, oh, thank excellent. you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Now it's time for our announcements, folks. Uh, next Saturday, no, um, November, right, May 25th, will be our fourth community meeting in the Pennsylvania Paranormal Flap area in the west central part of that lovely state. Uh, that will be at 1 p.m. Eastern on the over, at the Over the Mountain Restaurant in Rockton, Pennsylvania. It's primarily for residents of the area to update us on their experiences, and there will be a presentation by our group, including ourselves, well, maybe not Ben, uh, our ever-popular guest co-host, Shane Searway, astronomer and Science Channel personality, Mark D'Antonio, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff, and broadcaster, UFO researcher, Charles Credo. All are welcome. There's no charge for the event, but people are encouraged to order from the menu to help thank our hosts. Uh, details are on the public events page at BehindTheParanormal.com, where there's also an online form to submit your own experiences, uh, as we mentioned. And on uh, right after that, on Saturday, uh, August 17th at 2 p.m., we'll be back at the Haverhill Public Library in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, to present on extreme UFO encounters in Massachusetts and beyond. Well, the right after that event actually was August 6th at the National Public Library. We'll be talking about extreme UFO encounters in New Hampshire and beyond. Uh, my book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, uh, Paranormal, I should say Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God will be released on August 28th and will be in stores after that and will feature at our fall events. It's now available for pre-order on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual suspects online. And the official release event will take place uh, with our good friends at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire on Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m. But before that, uh, there will be the 2019 Exeter UFO Festival, where we will speak for the eighth year in a row, as well as do our fourth annual live broadcast from this show, or for or or of the show, I should say, uh, the, with a panel of speakers on Sunday, September 1st, from the historic Exeter, New Hampshire Town Hall. Uh, this great event is sponsored by the Exeter Kiwanis Club, and uh, benefits will go to local children's charities. Okay, other events, uh, lots of other events this fall. Uh, check out BehindTheParanormal.com for our other books. And um, also there you'll find more than 800 uh, free shows from our past years. And we probably ought to get to uh, what we have next week, Ben. So next week uh, we have, on uh, May 26th, we bring you a two-hour special on location from the uh, Pen Pennsylvania Flap Area case with a panel of legends and local experiencers. And that will begin at 11 a.m. Eastern and run into our usual time of uh, 1 p.m. So get your questions to paulbehindtheparanormal.com. You can message us on Facebook or call during the show, which is 401-766-1240. 
Okay, uh, there'll be links to several charities we've adopted on the show, of course, at BehindTheParanormal.com. Please check those out. So we'll leave you this afternoon with another astounding thought from the early 20th century French author and journalist Anatole France. Until one has loved an animal, the part of one's soul remains unawakened. That would have been better for last week when the animal communicator on. Anyway, yeah, you know, it's better, better late than, than never. I suppose. All right, uh, we ready here? Because I can't yes. read this clock. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.